Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Happy day after the big Labor Day weekend. I hope you had a great time. And, you know, it's Tuesday already, even though it kind of feels like Monday. So it's it's always going to be a little confusing this week. But kids are back to school. All good things are happening. And we have a great show planned for you. We're going to be joined uh, full hour with Ken Samples, among other good items I've got planned. I love Acts 4.12. I think of this all the time. This is a great memory verse of mine. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. What a powerful verse. I love that. So let me take 60 seconds and we'll get the big show underway. Start each week with a word of encouragement and hope with the Faith Radio Prayer Devotional Email. When you sign up at MyFaithRadio.com, you'll receive a weekly email message featuring a short quote and a prayer to help you start your week steeped in the truth. It's an email you actually look forward to receiving and helps keep your mind focused on God throughout the week. Sign up for the Faith Radio Prayer Devotional email at MyFaithRadio.com under the Subscriptions tab. You don't go to see your favorite band or play expecting it to be bad. Confidence is based on past performance, which leads to an expectation of future performance. For 70 years, Faith Radio has shared the hope of Jesus, and He's never failed. So it stands to reason He never will. And that can give you confidence for the next 70. Our Fall Share fundraiser begins September 10th. Will you support the cause helping us all face our circumstances with a living hope? Find out more about investing in this ministry at MyFaithRadio.com. Welcome back to the show. I'm delighted to be having Paul Martini as my guest. He's on our studio line. He's written a book called Access and Release God's Peace from Chaos and Confusion to Freedom and Power. Paul, welcome. Oh, it's so good to be here. Thanks for having me, Bill. Yeah, I love the fact that I see the word peace all over your book because uh, I can't think of a word that we want more than peace. Yeah, I think it's one of the most undervalued fruits of the Spirit, and I believe that the Lord's really emphasizing uh, his peace to the church today because we really need it. Yeah. Now you were uh, you were in business management, weren't you, before you got into uh, being a pastor? Yeah, I was. I worked for Verizon Communications. I was a business development manager for them. Uh huh. So, uh, tell me how you transitioned from that from that job and how God called you into ministry. Well, uh, I guess you know that kind of incorporates you know really how the Lord found me. Um, I was a, I would say, a nominal Christian. Uh, my wife at the time and I were going to, would go to church, and we had a history uh, in the church. But uh, we uh, we ended up uh, doing work, doing the daily grind. I was working at Verizon Communications, uh, and actually, a lot of my story it, it pivots on that because I always say the devil. Uh, whenever he sees a crack, he tries to make the biggest chasm he can out of that crack. And that's why I know why God hates divorce, because no one really wins. Um, the husband doesn't win. The wife doesn't win. The kids don't win. And uh, so and true. so 
you know, that's why he hates it. And so, um, but uh, I'm not trying to tell the story to make my ex look bad, but uh, but just the fact that uh, everyone has a past and a story, and I was not an innocent party by any means. We were just lost. We didn't know what we didn't know. And so uh, my story actually starts where uh, uh, my wife ends up leaving me, and I was really crushed by that. We had two little children. We had twins. I ended up um, getting really lost in the world because I was in so much pain. And um, it's in my book, but basically I, I find myself in on Thanksgiving in a bar because Everything's closed except bars and pubs are open on holidays, and I was believing the lie that nothing would ever change in my life. I would never have peace. I was outside smoking my cigarette, leaning against the dark windows of the bar, when this older African-American man comes up to me, and he says, Paul, are you going to make it? No, he doesn't say my name. He just says, are you going to make it? And I said, what? And he said, you heard me. Are you going to make it? And I said, "Uh, yeah. And he said, how do you know? And I don't know why I said this, Bill, but it was like, I was time warped back to Children's Church where the only correct answer is Jesus, the Bible, or prayer, you know, no matter what the teacher <laughs> asked. And mm-hmm. I said, I said, because Jesus? And he said, Jesus? Why'd you say Jesus? And I said, because I'm a Christian. And of course, he just ignored me. And he said, what's your name? I said, my name's Paul. And he said, wow. He said, you know, Paul in the Bible did great things for God. He said, one day, Paul, you're going to do great things for God. And he walks away. And I run into a car, and I cry my eyes out because I realize, just as the psalmist David wrote, even if I made my bed in hell, God was with me, and he was after me. And it was that moment in my life that really changed the trajectory of my life, where I started to dedicate my life to Jesus Christ and um, and, uh, and and start my journey on finding God's peace. And, and during that time, I was working at Verizon, using all my vacation to go overseas on missions. And then God said, Paul, I want you to go to ministry school. I want you to go to Bible school. So um, I forsook everything and uh, and went to Bible school. So, so that's my story. <laughs> well, Paul, it's a great story. And I, I love the fact that this, this gentleman on, was it Thanksgiving night? Yes. Yeah. Thanksgiving night. Says to you, are you going to make it? It's such an, yeah. op- it's such an open-ended question. Uh, so full of, uh, many different directions you could have gone. Um, mm-hmm. And then he disappeared after some discussion that that you would do great things. Uh, you know, one of those little moments of maybe divine uh, inspiration and, and divine, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Angel. I there think. you go. <laughs> That's probably the good word, yeah. yeah. I think so. I'm not sure, you know, I, I uh, but I would say if I had to guess, that I would say that it was definitely divine appointment, and it was definitely uh, it was a great possibility that I could have been an angel. Uh, Bill, I actually uh, go to bars on holidays uh, uh, and 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 try to minister there because you know people who are there are often because they don't have a family of their own, and um, and but I would go back to that same bar for years. I never could find that same guy. Yeah. So I believe yeah. he was an angel. And Paul, divine appointment was the word I was looking for. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, you're talking about discovering, you know, this life-changing message that peace is a person, peace is a position, peace is protection, peace is powerful, and much more. So let's dig into some of that, if, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, well, I think we need to understand that God's peace from the get-go is not the same peace as the world. And so Peace in the world is the idea that it's the absence of conflict, that there's 
no conflict, that everything's at rest and still. And, uh, and that's really the world's definition of peace. Um, but it's not really God's definition of peace, and it's not how peace is demonstrated in the Bible. Um, and I, I always go back to, you know, what was the meaning of this word when it was first uh, originated? And, uh, and I think that's—it's uh, actually on page 76 of my book, but I believe that that's actually— the significant starting point. Um, you know, words evolve over time, Bill. Um, you know, I always joke, I say, you know, I found out recently that the word awful used to mean inspire unto all. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so, but now when we say something is awful, we say it's terrible. It actually means the opposite of what it used to mean right. because words evolve in modern society. And the word peace, even the word shalom, has evolved to mean something even much greater uh, and has a fullness to it and a, uh, a wholeness to it that is, uh, that is such a full word. But if you actually go back to the etymology, the origin of the ancient Hebrew for the word peace, it means something very different. Now, of course, Hebrew language is made of uh, pictures, uh, not just the phonetic of letters like the English language. And so in and of themselves, they have meaning beyond them being together. And so the the ancient Hebrew for the word shalom is made of four different pictures. The first is a picture of it uh, looks like teeth, and it means to destroy. The second uh, letter or picture is uh, a shepherd's hook, and it means authority. The third letter or picture is a is a nail, and it means to attach, literally. And uh, and the fourth letter is actually a bunch of waves. It looks like a bunch of waves, and it means chaos. And when you said shalom or peace in the ancient Hebrew, you were literally saying to destroy the authority that's attached to chaos. Oh, I like that. Peace is much stronger than we realize. When we're praying for peace for somebody, we're not really just asking for God to help them accept their situation or for them to be still or for them to be quiet. What we're really asking is that God would destroy the authority that's attached to chaos in their life. Wow. And so peace is a powerful, powerful weapon. And so I talk about how, you know, uh, that's why, you know, the Apostle Paul talks about the armor of God and he, he puts peace on the feet. It's not a coincidence. It's because it, it doesn't matter how well you wave your sword or hold your shield. If you don't have his peace, you're not going anywhere because peace actually advances the kingdom of God. That's why it's on our feet. And so uh, in the book, I actually uh, bring into emphasis how we uh, use peace. And and, that, and Jesus even talked about this. He would say uh, how to take cities. He would say go two by two, find the house of peace. May your peace rest on that house. Um and so in the book, I, I, I basically talk about how peace is uh, more than just a absence of conflict. It's actually a thing that overcomes conflict. Trans- it's the kingdom of heaven transcending and overcoming chaos. And so that's, that's the emphasis. Yeah, I love that it's something proactive. It isn't just something that retreats. It's something that fills in, which is peace that God gives. Absolutely. When you talk about the absence of conflict, it's like it's nice when something goes away, and will that produce peace? But you're really saying that peace is something that gets filled into your life. Absolutely. Yeah, Hit I love the nail that. right on the head. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. The world will talk about, you know, emptying of yourself, you know, meditation, which is, you know, I mean, we, we might have the, you know, I, th- I say everything that has a, uh, original has a perversion or a, a you know, a, a falseness to it, you know, so there'll be, you know, uh, meditation, but we talk about prayer, but, you know, meditation is emptying of yourself and, and finding peace through that, 
But of course, once something comes into conflict or confrontation or tension, well, then that that inner peace is gone. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're filled with him, with his peace, then it's something that's not from you. It's something that's from him. And that's totally different. That overcomes things. Uh, that changes atmospheres. That uh, That is what transcends uh, issues that are going on around you. And so I talk about this in, in, in John 14, 27. Jesus oh, says to his disciples, yeah. he says, yeah, I mean, it's right there. My peace I give to you. My peace I leave with you. Not as the world gives to you do I give to you. So not, don't let your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And what I love about this verse is it really clearly states that peace is a transference of anointing from Christ to our lives. Mm-hmm. It's not something that we need to create. You know, if we're talking about creating from within, well, that's that's conditional, that's fragile, that's weak. But this is actually an anointing from the Lord. And, um, and that's why I believe that peace is transferable. I believe you can go into a place of hopelessness, a place of chaos, let's say a hospital room, and you could lay your hands on the person next to you, and the peace of God will transfer by the Spirit of God from your life to their life. Why? Because His peace is really powerful. And that's what we need to understand. It's not something that's fragile. And, and so I, I believe that the enemy, uh, he doesn't try to you know, take everyone's special gifting. He doesn't try to you know, take anyone's special anointing. Uh, he's not trying to burn down every church in America. He's just making sure the people inside don't have peace because God's peace is really powerful. Boy, is it ever, Paul. Um, Paul Martini is my guest. He's written a book called Access and Release God's Peace. From Chaos and Confusion to Freedom and Power. We're going to take a very short break. When we come back, we're going to have lots more with Paul. Welcome back to the show. I'm delighted to have Paul Martini on my studio line. He's written a book called Access and Release God's Peace. From chaos and confusion to freedom and power, Paul. I know that, uh, that a lot of people have listened to lies. So maybe would you share some of the common lies that people might be believing about peace? Yeah, I would say um, uh, again, one of it is that uh, is that it's fragile and that it's easily broken, mm-hmm. um, and uh, that's definitely a lie. Another thing is that that you can't have peace in the midst of chaos. You know, I believe that peace. Um, can either sustain you through a storm or overcome the storm when it challenges the destiny of your life. And that's a perfect example in John 35 through verse 40, where Jesus is in the storm with the disciples in the same boat, in the same storm, with fishermen who could be expert boatsmen, if, you, if you'd if you want to say that. And uh, so this is a real significant storm. Uh, Jesus, who's at peace, is asleep on a pillow, and uh, and the disciples get full of fear, because fear is really contagious. Once you get, once it gets in you, it spreads like wildfire. And so they tell him, Jesus, Jesus, uh, you know, if this is a time to be afraid. This is a fearful moment. And what he does is he gets up and he releases peace. So instead of accepting the fear that's in front of him, he releases the peace that's inside him, and it overcomes the storm. And um, and I believe that, you know, Jesus in that in that story told them from the get go. He said, "We're going to the other side." So he already prophetically declared it. And so uh, when tri- when trials come, when confrontation comes, and it challenges the destiny of your life, I believe that God's peace is so powerful that it, if it doesn't sustain you, it'll overcome the storm. Mm-hmm. 
I so. bet I bet Paul there are listeners that are thinking, huh, I love this God's I love this idea of God's peace, but I don't know if I can experience this this freedom in my life on this earth. What would you say mm-hmm. to them? Well, I would say that that's you know, that's a common uh, deception and misconception from the enemy. Um, I believe that God uh, wants you to have his peace, and I believe that God wants you to experience the peace that he provides. Um, you know, it says uh, in John 14, uh, excuse me, in uh, Romans fourteen seventeen that the, the kingdom of heaven is not of uh, eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. In Romans sixteen twenty, it's my favorite Bible verse, it says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your own feet. So God's peace is powerful, and it's possible to have it, but I believe it's something that we need to focus on receiving from Him. So oftentimes when we come to God and we ask for peace, we come with it in the perception, I like to say, that we're ordering it like a drive-through takeout mm-hmm. right restaurant, where we, you know, we petition God when we need it, at the moment we need it, saying, God, I'd like peace now. Um, I, I, I tell a story where you know I grew up in an Italian-American household in Philly, and uh, my parents loved cooking. Actually, they were known to, to in the neighborhood as people who would give all these amazing foods. How do and, I get invited? Caters. I'm just curious. Yeah, exactly. I don't. I don't need to be. You, you got to uh, be born into. Oh, <laughs> you had to spoil it. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, exactly. No, it's all right. So I, I just, uh, you know, we would love to have you though, Bill. Thank if you. you. Ever want to come. Thank you. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I remember. Uh, going to school, and, uh, and I was in middle school, and, and my friends say, you know, Paul, does your family own a restaurant, <laughs> like a hoagie place or a meatball place? I said, no, why? They said, you know, embarrassingly enough, they said, because you smell like your parents own a restaurant. I said, like, what? And I found something out. I went home, and all my clothes, everything permeated with everything my parents, all the garlic, all the oil, and I realized that uh, I needed to wear, I say to this day, that's why Italians wear a lot of cologne, you know, <laughs> it's really to cover up all the all the food smell. But the reality is, is that oftentimes we come to God like a drive through restaurant petitioning for peace when we need it, when the reality is we need to be in the kitchen. We need to be in the restaurant. We need to have the immersion of Christ on us because once it's in us and through us, then we can take it out into the world. And so it, it is, it has an aspect of abiding in him and believing. You know, I say that um, uh, we we say as believers, you know, we're called believers, not feelers, right? Mm, Yeah. It's not by our feelings that we access these things, Bill. It's by our faith. And so when we think of peace, we have to believe that it's through our faith that we receive it from Christ. And And here's our faith in action. When a trial comes, when a conflict comes, when a confrontation comes, we have the choice to turn our affections to Him and allow his peace to flow through us or to give in to the fear that's in front of us. Those are two different choices. And I promise you, once you start allowing God's peace to flow through you, looking at at different aspects and saying, you know what, I could lose it right now. I could give in to this temptation to be angry, to be hurt, to be offended. But instead, I'm going to allow his peace to reside on me Mm -hmm. and remain on me. All of a sudden, all these other options open up to you. And you become a key person in that atmosphere. Uh, That's why God uh, commissions us as peacemakers. You know, peacekeepers are full of anxiety. 
I don't know if you've ever had to peacekeep something before, Bill. Oh, yeah. But usually a peacekeeper is not at peace. No. They are running around trying to figure out how do I appease every party and make them happy, whereas a peacemaker is something totally different. A peacemaker actually finds solutions that bring order out of the chaos, and when you have his peace upon you in your marketplace, in your work, in your school, in your friends' uh, circles and family circles, you actually become the person who is in a way of right thinking because they see that you're not bothered by the anxiety that's in front of you. You're not bothered by the fear that's in front of you. You have his kingdom residing on you. So it's a whole new aspect Mm -hmm. and understanding of really what peace is. Yeah. Now, Paul, we can, as followers of Christ, we can can be living full-time in God's peace, right? Versus just experiencing a peaceful moment now and then in times of stress. Absolutely, yeah, I believe I believe one hundred percent that that you know even you know now you know I talked about you know the origin of peace is the uh, to destroy the authority attached to chaos. But as the word has evolved and uh, and have how we've understood the word shalom, it's total peace inside and outside and total wholeness. So. And that's kind of like a, a, a liaison to the word saved, which is sozo, which means healed, set free, and delivered. It's total salvation. And so when we have his peace, it's not a momentous thing. It's an everyday life thing. You know, these are fruits of a relationship with Christ mm-hmm. that needs to be. And I always say that, you know, I was meditating on Galatians 5.22, and I, you know, and I said, you know, God, would you give me insight? How do I... And and he said, you know, Paul, you're a fruit basket. And I said, okay, God, please clarify this, because you know, mm-hmm. in my culture, that means you're crazy. Right. But uh, when people in in your culture are sick, they put fruit in a basket and they give it away. He said, the fruit in your life, if it's not picked, it falls off and rots. It's to be given away, mm-hmm. and uh, it's not just for you. And I I believe the more you release, the more you receive. Uh, I believe that we're made to be rivers, not ponds. And Jesus says the rivers of living water will flow out of your belly. And so oftentimes we don't realize the power of his peace and um, and that it's actually something we can give to others. But I, I also use the example, you know, if, if we took an, an orange and squeezed it into a glass and apple juice came out, uh, we would find that that's odd. We would think that's wrong. Uh, orange should not produce apple juice. Um, yet when the pressures of the world come and the attacks of the enemy come upon us, uh, anxiety, fear, worry, doubt come out of us. And the reality is whatever inside of us should come out of us. So really when more, peace, more pressure comes upon us or the attacks of the enemy come against us, the more peace should come out of us or joy or love or patience. And so I believe when we understand that an attack is an attack and our response is not a force, that we actually have a free will to choose how to respond, we can choose peace. Paul, I've really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you so much for uh, agreeing to do the show. And Paul's book is called Access and Release God's Peace from Chaos and Confusion to Freedom and Power. Peace is powerful, and peace is protection, and peace is a person, and peace is a position. There's lots to learn in this little book. Paul, thank you so much for doing the show. Thank you, Bill. It was an honor to be here, and uh, I just love chatting with you. Thank yeah. you so much for having me. And I love the image of you as a fruit basket that probably smells like garlic. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Paul, have a great day. You yep. too, Bill. Take Thanks care. so much. Paul Martini's been my guest. Again, his book is Access and Release God's Peace. We'll take a short break and be right back.
I am awfully glad to be uh, getting a chance to meet and talk to Mark Moore. He is a teaching pastor at Christ Church, the Valley in Phoenix, and it's uh, a fast-growing and dynamic church. And he's written a book called Core 52, a 15-minute daily guide to build your Bible IQ in a year. I love that expression, build your Bible IQ. When was the last time you had that thought in your head? How do I increase my Bible IQ? Well, you come to the right uh, place today because we're going to talk to Mark Moore and find out how to do it. Mark, welcome to the show. Bill, thank you for having me. And what is the approximate temperature uh, in Arizona today? Well, inside or out? I'm talking out. Because, I don't care what it is yeah. inside. <laughs> This this is our winter, so inside is the same as it in uh, Minnesota. Outside, we're looking at 107 uh, with the potential of monsoon rains. Oh wow! But they always say it's dry heat, though, so somehow that's better. Well, actually, the, it is better when it's dry, but the monsoon brings moisture, so you can uh, you can pray for our sanity here. I will. I will indeed. All right, it looks like this is a pretty big statistic. 80% of people in church want to know the Bible better, and I'm surprised it's not even higher than that. Yeah, it's 20% might be people who are currently engaged in and actually making progress, so uh, that's about <laughs> the right number <laughs> yeah. that I look at. Mm-hmm. So why do so many people um, you know, have this passion for knowing the Bible, but it seems like there's not as many that succeed? Yeah, actually, I think there's this misconception, as I talk with other pastors around, I actually had a radio interview out of Portland, which may explain the question. She she said, isn't it hard to get people to want to read the Bible? Actually, no. It, the more surprising stat to me is that 60% of people who say self-identify, I want to know the Bible better, they don't go to any church. And I think the the number is so high because people know that knowing the Bible better will make them better at life. And, man, the stats staggeringly demonstrate that. If, if people engage in the Bible, like our, our listeners right now, if they, if they are reading the Bible on their own four times a week or more, there is kind of a magic number of four times a week. It's called Bible Engaged. They drink to excess 60% less. They commit adultery 59% less. They gamble 50% less. And I could go on, but the, the point is clear. Those who engage the Bible, look, this isn't about simply having a higher IQ. It's having a lifestyle that leads to better health. So it sounds like that there is uh, a definite correlation between reading the Bible and having a better life. <laughs> Clearly. And so I think the question that pastors need to start asking is not, how do I get people engaged in the Bible? Because they want to. The question we should be asking is, what's keeping people from it? And it's a surprisingly clear answer. Like, you know this, you at least know one of the two. It's, it's a big book. And how do you process through all, it, all of it? The second is, it's an old book. So how do you keep from getting distracted with the Amalekites and the Jebusites and sacrifices and foreign languages? When, when I travel abroad, I will always have a guide. And I don't want the guide to yammer on all day long. I want the guide to give me enough information to release me on my own, to go out to eat at the right place or to not make a major mistake in greeting or things like that. So 
the guidance I need when I travel to a foreign place is fairly minimal, but I want some kind of guide. If we can offer people a simple guide, and if we can reduce the bigness of the Bible to manageable chunks, I believe that we are going to see a radically increased Bible IQ. And that I like. So you kind of think of yourself more as like a, a personal trainer for spiritual growth. Yeah, trainer, coach, guide. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't want to like I don't I, I don't need to replace your pastor. You've got a great pastor. Right. But if I can just come alongside and with minimal coaching, say, look at this lane. I find that people if you're an executive in a business, you don't need to you don't have time for a five hour seminar. Give me 15 minutes and I'll figure it out on my own with that minimal training. Mm hmm. So, Mark, I'm looking at your book. I'm in Chapter 6 right now. Just to give listeners a little sample of what it might look and feel like, we're in a uh, chapter on Jesus and Moses. And the question is, did Jesus fulfill the promise to replace Moses? And there's this wonderful essay, and then there are uh, key points, and then there is a little um, uh, checklist at the at the end of the chapter about uh, reading the essay. You've got a, a verse to memorize You've got a couple of chapters to read, and then you've got some things to meditate on, and you've got a little action plan. So this is in a nice chunk, bite-sized way to start digesting and increasing the biblical IQ in a year. Yeah, Bill, that's right. If, so let's say someone wants to get in physical shape, like they want to maximize their core for an athlete or something. They're going to go to a trainer, and the trainer's going to say, okay, Monday we're going to do legs, Tuesday we're going to do, do back. Wednesday, we're going to do arms. And so what I've done here is to try to tap in to a variety of exercises, 15 minutes a day, five days a week. Each different exercise is based out of Core 52. And then actually, they can go look at it right now without even buying the book. They can go to core52.org. Without the book, it's not going to make complete sense, but you'll see the daily exercises. There's free resources there that will help them, like a Fitbit tracker, mm. walks through the exercises each day to make sure they maximize their uh, their knowledge of, and more importantly, their implementation of the principles you find in the Bible. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit more about the, this program, because I, I love the concept and I love your your connection to, you know, training in a gym, because I do that five times a week, and I've been doing it my whole life. So this I yep. understand completely. So we're going to want to try to help uh, people get uh, biblical competence in a, in a year. And for some of you who pick up the book for the, maybe you've been a Christian for a couple of years, it's still pretty daunting. So this book will help you get through that and get you to a, a much um, more competent place in one one year. Yeah, so a little bit of my own history, Bill, is I spent 22 years as a New Testament professor at a university, and my goal was to train people. And man, we we dug deep into words that, like most people, don't even pronounce: the Talmud, the Mishnah, the historical background, all that. I love that. So don't get me wrong. I'm like I love deep Bible study, but then I moved to this. Uh, it's not even a mega church. Uh, we're part of a giga church. So on average weekend right now, we'll have 35,000 people on nine different campuses. And I promise you, we're not that good. It just God's doing something among us. So we're just hanging on trying to figure out how to manage the opportunities. Mm -hmm. In that context, I have people coming from executive level, level power positions 
uh, people off the street, everybody in, in between. They want to know the Bible, but how do I how do I coach them with the minimal time they have and the minimal background they have to get the most out of it? So I've identified 52 verses. Obviously, there's thousands that are important, but 52 verses that, in my experience, take people further faster. And so th- that's what is in the book. And I love that because it's it's an, a number that people can um, get their arms around. I mean, we all know 52 is um, something that is not that daunting of a number, and we've got uh, the whole year to work on it. Yep, yep. And it, most people, if this is a priority for you, you can work out. Like you can walk 15 minutes a day if you want to lose weight. You can you can read a book 15 minutes a day if you want to gain some skill in some academic area. 15 minutes a day in the Bible is – I can't think of a more important investment of your time that will have greater ROI with your family, with your job, with your relationships. So, Mark, did you – teach this uh, course at your church, and then all of a sudden somebody said, you should really put this in a book. <laughs> well, actually, we are rolling it out um, as we speak. Okay. And our, all of our small group leaders uh, in the next few weeks are going to have access to this. The, the reality is this is not just something that I've worked on for a year or two. This is this is about 30 years of investment just figuring out what are those pivotal verses, the core verses that help people the most. Mm-hmm. So as you were putting this book together and you, you're covering uh, really from Genesis to Revelation, aren't you? That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if I pick this book up, is it is it your uh, your hope that I spend a year going through the book uh, am I in it every day? What's my commitment to the book, and how do I get the most up, out of it? Well, that, that's an excellent question. I, my hope would be don't rush it, because if you try to plow through it too quickly, for example, Tuesday is memorize the verse. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people say, well, I can't memorize the verse. I'll tell you, after studying Greek and Hebrew and foreign languages and delving in deep, Still, the most powerful thing I've ever done is memorize Bible verses, because that gives the Holy Spirit the ammunition he needs at the point of your attack. It's, it's an interesting thing, and I said this is a fairly new observation for me, Bill. When when Paul talks about the armor of God, he gives the you know the shield of uh, of faith, breastplate of righteousness, helmet of salvation. The sword is the Word of God, right? That Greek word for word of God is not is not the word logos for the the printed word or uh, it, it is actually the Greek word for the spoken word. So until people can speak God's truth at the point of their pain, at the point of their crisis, they are not as stable or gritty in their faith. So that's why I say going going back to your question. I don't want people rushing through this. Take the whole week, do all five exercises, and it will be most powerful, like any workout program or any diet program, if you do it in a community of people who care about you. Yeah. So I, I would say challenge your small group to go through it together in a year. Yeah, that's a great counsel. Mark, also encourage people, 
when their default answer is I can't memorize or I'm bad at memorizing, uh, give give those folks uh, a new default to have. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, this could not be simpler. Go to core52.org and each day two, so there's 52 weeks, each day two, you're going to have a video. You'll see me personally. I'm memorizing the verse with you, like on screen. You'll you don't even have to have a Bible in your hand. The words are going to come up on the screen. We're going to memorize that together. They will disappear at the appropriate time. And at the end of three minutes, you will have the verse memorized. Now, you may have to work a little bit on it to keep it memorized, but I coach you. I coach people through that. If you want to know how to memorize anything, whether it's the Bible or a play, those videos will give you the tools and tricks to do it more quickly and more permanently. Okay. Just watch a video. Yeah, okay, that's brilliant because there's so many people that are so freaked out about memorizing Scripture because they just they, they block it in their head and they say, I can't do it. So let's open up new opportunities and different ways in which you can memorize Scripture. So interactive video uh, might just be the ticket for you. Yeah, and actually through the first four videos, I give five different techniques because different learners, some are visual, some are auditory, some are tactile. But as you begin piecing some of those tricks and tools together, you'll figure out really quickly what works best for you. Mm -hmm. And everybody who knows their own name, social security number, phone number, or address has zero excuse for saying they can. Those are numbers. (laughs) <laughs> totally arbitrary. Mm-hmm. If you can memorize numbers and names, you can certainly memorize texts from God's love letter to you. Yeah. I've always said doing something over and over is the key to repetition. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> let, let me take a little break. Mark Moore is my guest. Uh, he's written an amazing little book called Core 52, a 15-minute daily guide to build your Bible IQ in a year. We'll take a short break and be right back. Welcome back to the show. I have Mark Moore on our studio line. He's his teaching pastor at Christ Church, uh, the Valley in Phoenix, uh, and it's one of the fastest growing churches. If you have not heard this whole interview, they they have roughly over thirty thousand people a week going through up to nine campuses. So God has His hand on that community, and powerful things are happening. So I'm I have your book open, Mark, and I'm in chapter forty one, talking about freedom. And the verse I'm looking at is Romans 8.1, which is a great verse. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the question that the book raises is, how can I experience freedom? And boy, doesn't everyone want to know that? Yeah, that's actually one of my favorite chapters in the book, because over my almost 40 years of preaching now, the most difficult thing that I have to convince people of is not that they're a sinner, is not that there's heaven and hell, but that they can be free from their past. And I see it, gosh, I see it all, all the time. And I, I just preached a, a series through Galatians in the month of June, and a woman emailed me who had been abused by her father from age 9 to 19. And now 10 years later, she emails me and says, that truth, and it wasn't Romans 1, but it was a parallel kind of verse out of Galatians, that truth released her and it, it obviously that you walk a long journey. I'm not saying that everyone gets this miraculous healing, but she did. The Word of God has the power to heal you. And 
honestly, I've counseled, I don't know how many thousands of young people over the years who come with abuse or addictions and, and a past. We all have a past. I always take them to Romans 8. I think it is the single most powerful chapter of the entire Bible. And Mark, talk about how it it comes up against a person's identity. And if you have an identity that's uh, you know prior to coming to faith in Christ, that identity seems to want to poke its way into your new identity, doesn't it? Well, yeah, sure. And we have all of us had this voice in our head from multiple different you know teachers and coaches and parents, and sometimes we don't even recognize the the. the we, we hit play so many times that these voices are looped in our head telling us who we are. God has a different voice, a different soundtrack. And if we can begin memorizing Scripture, getting into God's Word, that soundtrack will eventually drown out the other voices. We're, we're, we're not going to get over our past, but we can get past our past if the voice we listen to overwhelms the voices from our past. Mm-hmm. And also, Mark, when in chapter 42, you talk about radical change and everyone says, how can I change when I think of my past or my identity or what I think about God or myself? Uh, and you say that it's, it's not that co- changes is, is not that complicated. And you say there are three simple steps, believe the promise of change, receive the power to change and accept the challenge to change. Would you say a little bit more about those three? Well, those, as I have observed in, uh, again, seeing real people in real lives, we just baptized an 80-year-old man. Oh, sweet. Uh, His daughters had not seen him for 35 years. Wow. They both flew in, and the first time they ever physically touched him in 35 years was in the baptistry of our church. Yeah, you're you're not too old to change. But I just talked to a, a young girl. She's 15 years old. I wish everybody could meet her. She is an amazing servant of God. She's 15 years old, acts like she's got the maturity of a 28-year-old, but she had an eating disorder. And she just – I saw her just Sunday. She just got out of two weeks of rehab. God's doing an amazing work in her life. I, I can talk about Jeff, who – one of the most hilarious moments, Jeff is a big burly dude that came up to me at church and said, you got to talk me into God. <laughs> uh, no, I don't. God can talk you and himself. No, you got to talk me into Well, Jeff, why? Because I like coming to your church, but I'm an atheist. I said, well, we let atheists come in. You're welcome. To come. He says, no, you don't get it. I've invited five of my neighbors in the last month to come here. They've all gotten baptized. I feel like a hypocrite. Well, Jeff is one of those intellectuals that had some serious questions. But it wasn't the apologetic answers that I gave to him. It was the openness. The most important question Jeff had to answer is, do you want to believe? And once he said yes, God literally showed up in a miraculous way in the, in the cab of his pickup truck. He met God. And so I just, I just once you begin to believe or even want to begin to believe— God can show up in amazing ways, and you, I've seen people change from lifelong addictions. As have I. Um, Mark, let me ask you this. If your biblical IQ is low, are you going to be able to easily tell what God's will is for your life, or do you need to up that Bible IQ? Well, 
obviously, I think knowing God's will is more about God's power than yours. So I would never say that a person, even if they're far from God, could not know God's will. Because even even Solomon talks about seeing God's will in the plants and animals. So it is accessible. Here's the problem, that we don't change because of what we know. We change because of who we know. And raising your Bible IQ is not really about being smarter. It is about developing a closer relationship with your creator. And when you move from seeing God's fingerprints in the physical world that everybody has access to, to seeing his face in the person of Jesus, which the scriptures are an incredible, obviously he could show up in a vision dream, God's power, he can do that. But it is the scripture where he is self-identified in a letter to you, and the more you get to know him, the greater and more easily you will be able to see the the knowledge of his will and the the path of your own life. Mm-hmm. I love, That's my opinion. No, I, I appreciate that. I, I love that the Bible is, like it says, you know, alive and sharper than any two-edged sword. And I'm looking at a passage out of the 40th chapter in your book from Acts 17. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. And so the question you raise is, what is the Christian solution to racism? So you're taking God's word and applying it in ways that's uh, going to give us the ability to have uh, discussions in the uh, in the world today. Well, oh, man, I'm glad you brought that one up because I, I care about racism. I always have and I've always been actively involved in movements of reconciliation. I am distraught, and that's the right word, at where we're going as a nation with racial reconciliation, because the solution that is posed in popular culture is that everyone uh, in their own people groups, their own political groups, uh, have this partisan politics where we fight the other groups for notoriety. We accuse others of the victimization of what's been done to us. That is going to lead us to more and greater division. The biblical solution to racism is not diversity. It is unity. And until we recognize that that person with a fractional different pigmentation is a brother to me, Mm -hmm. a, a fellow human being, a fellow child of God, that person of different gender, that person of different political persuasion, it is, I just want to scream from the rooftops, it's unity that we need. And the only way to get unity, the only way to get unity is by having something larger than both of us that will draw us together. Mm -hmm. And you say in your book, this is precisely why only in the Church of Jesus Christ will our, our culture find racial reconciliation. There's simply no other banner large enough to encompass our diversity. And I agree. Well, and it's, it, that's not, uh, that is not a, a theological or philosophic statement. It's a historical statement. Right. And just this morning, I was listening to a Joe Rogan podcast, and it was, it was on this topic, and I just got so frustrated again because the Church of Jesus Christ was accused of being racist. Of course, there has been racism in our history, but I, I think if you're a historian, then you know that it is the Church of Jesus Christ was the only institution in the early Roman world that included men, women, slave-free, different ethnicities, 
period. And it's through the Church of Jesus Christ that the, the primary racial reconciliation, you know, in our modern day, has taken place. There would, there would have been no Martin Luther King Jr. if there was not the Church of Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. period. And Mark, is there anything that more important for a believer to just go from being curious about the Bible to having real, real confidence in it? Yeah, well, certainly God gave it to us for a reason, and millions have died for its preservation. It is the single best-selling book year over year since the printing press of Gutenberg. If we don't know this, we'll not just be spiritually ignorant, we'll be socially and politically crippled. This, This lives where we do. It is not an ancient archaic book. From psychology to sociology to politics to education, the Bible has a depth to it. And obviously, at the core is the relationship with Jesus Christ that brings eternal salvation. Mark, it's been uh, really nice meeting you, and I've enjoyed uh, hearing about Core 52, your new book, and really uh, appreciate what you've done to put this together and provided such a great resource for people. Well, thank you for letting us get the word out, Bill. You've been really kind. Oh, thank you so much. Mark Moore has been my guest. And again, his book is called Core 52, a 15-minute daily guide to build your Bible IQ in a year. And who doesn't want to do that? We're going to take a short break, and we'll be back with more in just a minute. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.